Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for uh, some I awesome. I just hit record. All right, friends. Welcome back to the show. Get ready for some awesome. You know who that is. It is Jay Storm. What's up, man? Is that your, would that be your DJ name? Hey, this is... Or actually... I, it would be. It would be. Hey, this is Jay Storm. I, it would be. Howdy, y'all! It's Jay Storm. <laughs> so it's like a hee haw, DJ. Well, I figure that's the only kind of radio you would have. <laughs> I think you actually gave me the nickname Johnny Storm at like some place where people started calling me Johnny Storm because of you. Well, you're welcome. No, it wasn't. A, I wasn't grateful for it. It's like a superhero thing. That's a nice thing. Um, Jerry Rushford introduced me at a church in L.A. as Johnny Storm because of you. So, Well, let's add to that. I got an email this week from someone who heard your origin story as told on last wrap-up, <laughs> and it caused them to think that Johnny Storm absorbs the light from dumpster fires for his superhuman strength. <laughs> Uh, that would be an amazing superpower. Super, yeah. yeah. That 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 was not my origin story. No, but I think they they brought them together. The origin story, which is of course like you are Superman and you come from Uranus or wherever you come from, and then you are whatever. But then they mix together the dumpster fire fascination you have. Okay. Okay. I understand that that could make a sweet plot. Speaking of superheroes, uh, you and I went and saw oh. since the last podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, Batman versus Superman. Gosh, and who else was there? My my son. Who? How old was he at the time? Six. Six. The day before his birthday. He's just turning six. Yeah. So it, technically, he was five. Yes, and I, f- <laughs> I, <laughs> I. Did got, you tell Leslie before or after? He told her very quickly. Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't tell Leslie before that I was going to do that. Um, it, it was so fun to share one of, your, one of your worst moments with you. It was so much fun for me to do that. Dude, so, you know, like, I, I took him out of the theater during, like, certain scenes of, like, let's go to the bathroom and yeah. covered his eyes and stuff because I'd already seen it. And he came back and told Leslie, no, Daddy didn't cover my eyes at anything. So, dude, you are not going to get to do stuff like this in the future. No, if that's you... not how it works. That's not a good move there, young man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was special. You were down here because you did our church's men's retreat. Yeah, your men's ministry, I think, was really looking for an alpha male. And so they they just they were hungry for some kind of male you know, model and yeah, but but not the kind that you you tend to think of when you think of model. You're like, I'm a male model. I could totally be a male model. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that's that's you. You were just the uh, paragon of masculinity, and, <laughs> and for that, everyone has been just um, exuberant. I mean, overwhelmed exuberant. by that. Yeah, you- and, and you came down here and you made fun of me uh, pretty much the whole time, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, I was fine with a lot of the jokes. You know, it's fine for you to make a comment about, you know, my mustache. Okay, sure, make that joke or reference a Justin Bieber song in me about, you know, loving yourself or something. Okay, that's fine. But I feel like you crossed the line. Where was that? When you made fun of my hair. When you talked yeah. about hair. I just didn't think it, it's not, it's not even a fair joke for you to make because, 
you know, obviously right. for me, it's an easy subject for you to hit. It's a, it's a static yeah. subject. It's not going anywhere. But for me, it's not, it's not fair because I can't make fun of your hair that easy because it's a moving target. <laughs> or should I say receding target? And so it's, not, it's just not fair. Uh, this, you, have wrote, you wrote this joke down <laughs> no, two weeks ago. <laughs> no, I didn't. And you know what else I'll say? Oh, I'll burn him good for that. Yeah, that was that was a fun a fun thing. Hmm. I, and I didn't do Justin Bieber. I just said I love. I told the guys at the retreat, I love your preacher almost as much as your preacher loves your preacher. So it it has the it has some similarities to Bieber. Yeah, I mean, as someone who listens to the words of Jesus, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, I feel like, you know, loving everyone, including yourself, is just a biblical mandate. So if you want to make right. fun of my yeah. ability to, or my desire to follow Jesus, go ahead. I'll yeah, get an I extra think, crown in heaven. I think that's what picking up the cross must look like for you. Just, and, and so now you're being a martyr mm-hmm. because I am Attacking persecuting you. you for loving, Discipleship. loving yourself. Yep. They Man, we, I think we have different terminology for these words no no they will remember me and remember this moment for years there's a good chance (laughs) this could become a holiday it was a fun trip man thanks for yeah inviting me or not not ixnaying me when your men's ministry invited me i guess well i i mean it was the first men's retreat so i wanted to set the bar real low (laughs) (laughs) men's retreats in the future no, it was fun. It was great having you there. Everyone loved you for some reason. And uh, No, I totally get that. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get to the podcast. This month, we had um, two Jonathan Stormont recommended guests. And surprisingly, this is the month we had more Calvinists than ever before, thanks to you. <laughs> and so Johnny Storm brought in the Calvinists to the podcast. So Swoboda was certainly not a Calvinist. Oh my goodness! If you're not a, Cal- it's like, hey, do you like to punch little kids in the face? I would just say no to the question. But if I did like to punch kids in the face, which I don't, I would he him haw around the question, which he did. Okay, so in the MDiv that you have, that you pretty constantly bring up, you had to have church history too, right? Yes. Like. Calvin is not a bad guy. I mean, unless you're Servetus. Servetus, Yeah, right. it wasn't so yes. good for him. But you had Doug Foster too, right? Are you referring to like there's a second Doug Foster, like Doug Foster 2? <laughs> okay, I had church history with Doug Foster 1, yes. Okay, so didn't he talk about how like it was just such a different time and different world and it would have been like akin to us? Like tweeting something was like killing someone back then. I get it. Well, no, it was, he was like Bin Laden of his day because so much like political and everything was intertwined and he was almost a terrorist and I'm not defending Calvin. There it is. This is exactly the point. Like you basically are, I would assume we should do like an over under and we all pick a month in which you come out and finally say, yes, I'm a Calvinist. I feel like if I had to pick a number right now, I would go 13 months. 13 months. Yeah. Next year, okay. next May. Well, I, so I, I am not a Calvinist at any stretch of the imagination, and neither is A.J. Swoboda. Mm. Just because you've read John Calvin, which I haven't. Um, Yet. <laughs> May yeah. 2017. <laughs> you know, this guy makes a lot of sense. I do have 
I have one guy in mind I'd like to burn at the stake. Who? No, it's just, you, you don't no. know him. Okay, so I did get uh, some feedback from people who said, you know, it just it, it feels weird to, the, the language of someone who comes from a more Calvin-y feel, like it does feel different, like you can sense it different from other guests that we've had. And yeah. one of the things that I want to do is to be able to have conversations with people on both sides of the aisle. You know, all, yeah. and I feel like there's something that, in all seriousness, you can learn from, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of Calvinism, but I do think you can learn from Calvinists. I think there's a lot of Calvinists who've helped me and been a benefit to my life. My, probably my closest church planning friend in the Metroplex when I lived there was an Acts 29 church planner. And so yeah. I, I hope that, you know, okay, even if you don't buy into everything they're selling, I think you can still say there, there's some redemptive stuff that you can learn from them. Oh, yeah. No kidding. And and at some point, I think we have to ask the question, can we be a community of reconciliation or not? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, we're church, churches of Christ. Our better instincts have been unity movement, and we didn't have to agree on everything. Um, so, but Sloboda, so, he, he never struck me as a Calvinist. I mean, he even said in his book, the Dusty Ones, that, like, Calvinism's always bothered him in the same way, uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He he does kind of say some stuff where he's not, and, and I really, it sounds like I'm saying he's a full-blown Calvinist. I think Jamie Smith is a Calvinist, but, but, he is. but oh, AJ yeah, yeah. is not, I, I, it would not be fair for me to say he's a Calvinist, so I I was joking, AJ. Dude, I loved, I love, I love Swoboda, first off, I, I've liked his writing for a while, but I like hearing your interview with him because I like it when you have guests who say things to you like, are you sure you're doing this right? He doesn't like he was sitting you were, he was sitting in his car in his driveway. I don't think he should talk to me about how to do a podcast. <laughs> when he said that this is a really awkward start to this thing. Yeah. It's almost like he's asking you're not you're not getting paid for this, right? Um, he, someone from Portland saying something is weird is the most hypocritical thing ever. I mean, just him being alive in Portland is oh, awkward. Gosh. I mean, that's just what Portland is. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we're happy for them to be in the country. They bring so much to it, but not, it's just... Not a lot of people listening from Portland, I'm taking No, I think they would just go, yeah, they're self-aware. They understand that. Just like, I live in Texas. I know it's hot. Okay, so that's just... It's just where you live. So, one of the reasons I like Swoboda and have for years is because of him being in Portland. Like, the... The way that being a pastor in Portland looks has got to be so much different than the way it looks for people like you and me in mm-hmm. Texas or the Bible Belt. Yeah. Clichés don't work. Um, you know, the way he talks about faith, it resonates with me a lot. Like how? What, what about it, like, specifically? Um, okay, so, like, one point in his book, he said he's talking about wrath, and he's reframing wrath. Him and uh, Joshua Ryan mm-hmm. Butler— I think did this really well. They went right at the hard places that we're tempted to either talk about in cliches or ignore. Um, and he said in his book, "Wrath is God's way of doing hospitality." Yeah, that was that was interesting. I know, right? Okay, so some um, people hear that and they go, "That's not a really hospitable thing to do. Is to be wrathful." How would you how would you couch that to someone who? who doesn't understand God's wrath as being anything close to hospitality? Um, well, I mean, the classic definition is like uh, 
theologians talk about active wrath and passive mm-hmm, wrath, mm-hmm. and and God's wrath is passive, in the sense of God gives you all the hell you want. Yeah. You know, the God in the Bible that that curious phrase gives them over to themselves. Um, yeah, that, that Romans one text. Yeah. What was the other thing that he said? Um, it's not Unitarianism. Uh, universalism. He said Calvinism and Universalism always struck him as two sides of the same yeah. same yeah, yeah. coin. That was an interesting I think thing. Beck has blogged about that like years ago. He made some connection that if you're a, you know, a Calvinist, you can't be upset because God chooses to send everyone to heaven because you're already fine with God mm-hmm. making the ultimate choice for everyone. And if it means everyone's in or everyone's out or some are in, some are out, you're, you're still fine to say that God gets to make the, the final call and there's no human volition to that. Yeah, oh, that's that's interesting. I, I, I forgot about that. You're right. I think Beck did say. Yeah, but it's a, it's a really good comparison because they, both of them are saying out of the equation is human choice. Yeah. What, what did you, what was your favorite part of that interview or book? Um, no, I'm just kidding. What I like the most about AJ <laughs> is that he doesn't overpromise, And that's one of the things that, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about in the conversation. He said that maybe that's a weakness of his is that he's, he's responding to like the overpromising of, I just saw some YouTube clip of someone who's like, if, you know, if you face your problems and you have faith and faith can fix whatever your problem is. And I'm just like, right. oh. What does that even mean? Like, have have you lived? Was that your sermon? No, for last I was Sunday? listening to the Highland podcast. Oh yeah, that oh, no, that's exactly that would really fly <laughs> at Highland. Let me tell you, <laughs> I love Highland. I don't see why you want to make a joke about that. Um, I guess I'd love your church more than you do. No, but like you, you see the abuses of people who who are promising too much, and then you see someone like AJ who's like. No, that's not part of it. Like, that's not what we're signing up for, where people think the cross is like this this gateway to an easy life. And it's not. Like, it's helping you. It's the old yeah. uh, Brene Brown line that I used to think faith was this epidural that blocked right. you from feeling all pain. But no, faith is really like the midwife who sits by you and says, keep going, you can do this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, right. th- that's what I like about AJ the best. Yeah. And, and he, he, I feel like he is... Um, the same way Philip Yancey gives me a ton of like sermon ideas, reading books from him does that too. Gosh, why so. don't you just go marry him? I mean, you'd like him a whole lot. Have you guys ever met in person? No, no, but I, I'd like to. I, I really liked his book, Glorious mm-hmm. Dark. That was the book that kind of made me really start paying attention to him and listen to his sermons oh, really? from time to time. Yeah, yeah I love the glory. Yeah. Go ahead. Hit- his stuff on progress and y'all's conversation on that was fascinating to me. I, okay, so I go back and forth about that because on one hand you have the Deschardins stuff, which you know Rob's talked about a right. lot, where you know this Omega point, like we're all moving forward, and Swoboda's like, no, we haven't moved forward at all. And I don't. Yeah. So his example is, you know, there's no more slavery today. Technically, but if you go to, you know, different parts of the world where you have different forms of slavery, where you have people working in factories for, you know, nickels for a month or something like that, and that's a form of slavery. Um, Sometimes I buy into that. Other times I think, yeah, but, like, (laughs) go watch Game of Thrones. Back when there used to be dragons, it was a lot worse. Um, 
Isn't that historical, Game of Thrones? No. Oh, yeah. No, that is that is your church history, too. That's starting to make sense. No, but if you go... There's part of me feels like if if I had gun to my head and I had to determine, are things better or worse right now than they were a thousand years ago? I feel like I would say yes. What would you say? No. I think I would say no. Um, the I, I mean, I, if you're pointing at certain things, then yeah. The... Um, I feel like this is the big change that's happened in my life in the last two years. Um, and we talk about, we've talked about this several times before, but the, like, I, I still associate with and consider myself progressive Christian. Like, those are the people that I feel the most drawn to and, and love to have the conversations with the most. But, because, mm-hmm. you know, they're open to questions and, and, but I don't think we're progressing. I, I, uh, I think what Swoboda was saying is right, um, that basically we use – because the myth of progress existed before evolution happened, before like Darwin's ideas – not before evolution happened, but before Darwin. Darwin presented the mechanism (laughs) for evolution. And then all of a sudden those two things got latched on to one another, and we started thinking, oh – so then everything in the past is bad and everything in the future mm-hmm. will be good. And, you know, you even said in the thing, in the podcast, this is the kind of postmodern, we, we also created yeah. Holocaust and, you know, yeah. death camps. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, it's hard. To, I, I think that was kind of the point where that dismantled modernity. like, yeah, we're going to get better. No, we're not getting better because there's a Holocaust. I, I don't know. I'm not yeah. a student of history well enough to really be able to make the evaluation to say that we are or we aren't getting better. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. I do think God is drawing things towards the future. But I think I, I think I heard N.T. Wright say one time, it's it's a lot of cl- – oh, it might have been when we hung out with them together in Nashville. Oh, yeah, you, me, and Tom. Um, when we, we drank after <laughs> when he left the room. I, w- I would love to bring that up next week. Hey, Tom, remember dying. that time you poured me a glass of water? Well, I still have a cup with me right now. The water. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what do you think Tom would say about that? Do you think he would say we're progressing? Um, I think he would say God is drawing things towards the new, the new heavens and the new earth, and that we are stumbling forward, but we also are very capable yeah. of stumbling back. And that, and that's different than the myth of progress, which is filled with yeah. hubris and yeah, you know that's good. Okay, so idolatry. that's good for AJ. Let's hold on. I loved I loved when he said, Luke, do you do you not have a theology of depravity? To, I would love to have been there in that podcast to be like, hey hey man, <laughs> Luke is a theology of depravity. <laughs> <sighs> Sometimes talking to you makes me reevaluate if I do believe total depravity is true or not. Lean towards yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, let's go to the next one. Paul Nevison. My brother from another mother down under. Paul Nevison. He seems like he seems like a really good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's so he's one of the people that uh, I've become friends with because of the podcast. Years ago, we were just Twitter buddies and now we're best friends. Wow. Yeah. 
Do you think he would claim that? I think that? he would in his better moments. I I would be highly doubtful no. that he would. No. He would claim that. So that was a different kind of podcast for you. Yeah, because the person was actually a friend of mine. Um, right. I'm like right now. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, I mean like he. He's not a pastor. He's not written a book. He's um, doing like a humanitarian aid documentary. He's written a song. Yeah, he's, really? He was a worship leader for Hillsong, and uh, you can Google him, and his stuff is uh, is on there. What's What's the name of his song? I forgot. We, yeah. we, we, we were uh, we were in L.A. and the same time he was there. Uh, when I was doing the the Pete Rollins and Rob Bell podcast recently, and uh, so I picked him up in the car and I. I had his song playing on the radio, which I thought was pretty funny. He didn't find it as funny as I did, but whatever. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So he um, – I mean, he's a filmmaker now. He was a pastor. He was you know, on staff at Hillsong, and he was um, you know, pretty big wig there. And obviously he's the, uh, uh, the mutual friend with Joel Houston who was on a few weeks before. And so he – I mean, he's been a, a churchman for a long time. Uh, one of the funniest things is he was leaving working full-time at Hillsong. Obviously this – this trip to uh, that he had just gone on was with Hillsong United. Um, that's why, part of why yeah. he was there. And so he was working as a contractor for them. But he was leaving, being full-time on staff at Hillsong the same time I was moving down to Austin. And so I joked about, you know, I was leaving, you know, a, a small church to go to a bigger church. And he was leaving a big church. Uh, and he said, Luke, I, you're not going to a big church. And I said, what do you mean? It's like you know, 1,500 members. He goes, yeah, that, that, that's not a big church. I was like, oh, yeah, your church is like oh, 50,000 people or however many Hillsongs is. So, yeah. Yeah. That's our yeah, small that, group, That's a man. small group, mate. Um, yeah, that's that. Okay, so what what was most compelling to me when, when Paul and I were talking about his trip is my desire for there to be an answer to bring revolu- resolution to suffering. And so obviously he's in one of the like yeah. the worst parts of the world. And if you want to go to the... Is the world progressing, or is there just you know a an example of depravity? He was right there in the middle of it, like, and that's you know yeah. this this crisis is obviously probably the worst thing that's going on in the world right now, or it might be one of them. And mm-hmm. I, I want a simple solution, like I want some answer of oh, you know, you know, you know, God is in here and He's going to make all things right for these people in their lifetime. And and the reality is like you don't you don't get that, and often. Like my desire to give an answer for that is to make it easier in my head so I can sleep at night, not actually to help the other people. Yes. Uh, So friend of the show and great friend of both of ours, Richard Beck, his his new book, Reviving Mm -hmm. Old Scratch, um, it's an amazing book, by the way. Like go out and get it. It's it's amazing. But one of the things he says is the – the downfall to progressive Christianity is our desire to intellectualize all of it instead of be to kind of enter into it and embody it. Um, and, and like if, if faith in God becomes the que- you know, questions and conversations you have with other cynical, jaded, overeducated people at Starbucks versus actual people in the suffering, then it, you're on the fast track to yeah. not believing, or at least in any substantial no. way. No, that. And 
So here's here's the thing that has impressed me the most in life. It's that things lead to their opposites. And mm. incredibly comfortable, incredibly wealthy people talk, look at the suffering of the world so differently than the people who are actually having intense suffering. Not that comfortable, yeah, yeah. wealthy people don't have suffering of their own, but like going to those places actually and, and, and even disprivileging yourself leads to greater joy, greater hope, greater mm-hmm. faith um, in a way that sitting back and talking about it just doesn't but I do. think that I think that's kind of what Paul was saying. Like I, I get that. Like when when you push right, towards, right. Uh, like when you sit comfortably, you're going to have a different view of it. And obviously, you know, a disconnected theology is not really a healthy theology. It needs to be in, like lived out, right? With that being said, like I think your conclusion, what you're getting to, is what I want to get to, and say, well, you know, they're going to suffer, but they're going to have more gratitude for what they have. Or you know, they lost their homes, and now they're realistically for the next 18 years probably not going to have anywhere to live permanently or something like that some like there's some stat about you know typically displaced people don't return home for 18 or 19 years or something like that and but then i would say well but in that they find like they're happier because of a simple life and i i feel like what paul was saying is that like it's maybe it's too soon or maybe it's just the beginning of it or something but yeah it seems like I want to jump to that conclusion for me personally so that I can sleep better at night, not because I think it actually helps them in that situation. So, you know, we're me and you are preaching through Ruth together next month, and I've I've already started reading on it. I'm sure you're going to. I sent you five outline sermons about a month and a half ago, just for the record. Yeah. So Naomi, during the moment, during the moment as a widow, as somebody who's lost her sons and just as hit. I mean, she is the refugee that Paul was yeah, going to visit. Yeah, that's fair. And she changes her name from pleasant to bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes it takes a while for that to change for her. So I think I think you're right. The you can't jump to the happy ending. But I don't I don't know very many people of faith or even people who weren't of faith originally who have gone through dramatic suffering and and have not been changed and also looked back i think of somebody a a friend of mine who lost a child and their faith changed dramatically but if you ask them where was where was god they would say he was all over um that whole experience not in the way that he didn't give them cancer magic or anything like that Mm -hmm. but 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 you think um, that that typically comes in hindsight not so much in the present moment I do. I think I think it is in the present moment and is seen clearer in hindsight. Yeah. But if you go in and try to like impose, you know, your happy ending on it, then no, it's it, you're you're preventing them from entering into it fully. Yeah, Inter- entering into it fully. Like, I think yeah. that's a real in- like a it's a for me personally that's not the easiest thing to do. Like my enneagram number typically would say you want to find the happy you know optimistic ending and positive spin. yeah positive spin everything like it you know if i heard rob say this i'm gonna rip it off from him because he's a seven two in the enneagram but he says like if, if the boat's sinking your first thought is oh yay we all get a swim right and that's kind of <laughs> that, that's my personality which i think is a defense mechanism to actually entering into 
suffering, but if you don't enter into it, then you can never get to the other side of it. And if you don't grieve yeah. properly, then what happens is your grief is going to bubble up and show up in other more cancerous ways at other parts of your life because you don't actually sit into it. Do you yeah, think some, right. I wonder if theology can do that, if it can become this, this numbing, like this Novocaine kind of thing that prevents you from sitting into the actuality of the moment. And so you use yeah. religion to, uh, and I sound very Pete Rollins right now, like you use religion as this way to mask suffering, which I think good religion would want you to get into anyway. Like, you know, our tradition has this thing about, you know, there, there's a time to mourn and you have to mourn in it. And yeah. You know, jumping past that, I, I don't think it leads to health. Yeah, I think it certainly, religion can certainly be a a, a drug that, a Novocaine. But I, in my experience, though, like, the people who are not suffering probably don't need to be the ones who speak into the suffering as much. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, because for, you know, Beck in that book is going to say, I, I went in there and I was going to do Psalms of Lament to the prisoners and they weren't having it. Yeah. They, they were ready to talk about resurrected world and the age to come and a day where there is no more prisons and their sins are. Yeah. 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 It's like, um, forgiven. I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen this multiple times, like, um, like a resource for white people, how they're supposed to talk about the new Beyonce album, like, and her yeah. blackness, like <laughs> here's how white people don't like, you don't talk about it. Is it a flow chart? Yeah. The, if you're white, don't yeah. talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But at some point you go, well, I, I get that. Like, I feel like experience needs to be front and center. And if you don't have experience in something, how much can you really bring to the conversation? Right? I get yeah. that. Yep. Mm. I, yeah. So, I, I mean, this is a challenge as pastors. I feel like in walking into a room where people are hurting and they really want to hear a word from the mm-hmm. Lord. Um, you know, I feel like it's like dismantling a bomb. You just don't know which wire to cut. Yeah, yeah. You know? Do they do they need to lament? Do they need to, you know, right. have hope? Do they need to look to, you know, yes, all that. So do you go in the room and just kind of try to sense where mm-hmm. they are and what they're, what they're looking for? Yeah. Do you think that ever... Um, you know, waters down the thus said the Lord, if you're kind of shilling them to figure out what they want to hear, you're kind of doing the psychic thing and saying, um, I sense that you've lost someone um, at some point in your life. It might have been your dog. You know, was it? A, did you ever have a dog? Well, yeah, I bet your dog barked, didn't it? Right? Like you're, because you're not yeah. really, you're, you're trying to, to kind of base off what you say off what they want to hear. Do you ever feel like that's disingenuous? Yeah. Um, no, I never feel like it's disingenuous. I feel like it is oriented around trying to actually serve the person right there. Because I don't, thus saith the Lord, that's that's like prophe, prophesy kind of language. Yeah. And in that moment, the Lord, thus said the Lord was, he breathed his last. You know, that's what the Lord yeah. said. He entered fully into it and... Um, and sometimes it is, it, it's, you need to sit shiva with mm-hmm. people. You, you need to be silent. And so to speak in that, what's that Jewish saying? Something about there are no, there are no words in the face of death. Hmm. Um, that basically you, so there's, there's just some kind, some yeah. kind of, 
suffering that you don't need to try to put a story yeah. on. I think this is what our friend AJ would say is that you know sometimes you need to be on Friday and you are in the pain of loss yeah. and sometimes you're in the awkward in between and sometimes you need to hear resurrection. And so I, I, like yeah. I asked the question, but I don't really think that's what you're doing. I think there's a time and a season for everything. Sometimes you need to mourn. Sometimes you need to celebrate. Sometimes you need to have anticipation and hope. And yeah. I think part of being a friend, part of being a pastor is that you, you listen to see where people are and where they're coming from. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and in my experience growing up poor and around people who are tend who are lower socioeconomically, my, my family talked a lot about death and happy times and in death talked a lot about resurrection and happy mm. times. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't, I don't know. Mom always talked about death. Always. Um, do you remember, you remember Steve from the flea market? Yeah, mom. He died. <laughs> mom, it's my birthday. It's a, it's a real, real bad, real bad death. <laughs> You know? <laughs> There's so much that's great about that. The the voice is, mm-hmm. is one of them. Second is the inclusion of a normal part of your life as the flea market. So, oh, it totally was auctions and mm-hmm. flea markets. And all right, let's talk about the next <laughs> guest who was my least favorite guest that you've had on. Oh, the was podcast. that uh, Jamie Smith? No, no, no. It was the one um, before that. Who was there? You'll remember there was a, a certain smugness <laughs> about him. <laughs> That's hurtful, you man. You know, I tried something new. I tried something new. I had some content that I didn't know what to do with, didn't think it was a sermon, thought it might be newsworthy, and uh, you just mocked me right away. I opened myself up, I opened my heart, and you just trounced are you, are you? Are you? Can I give you some constructive criticism? Oh, I'm sure I'm going to get it regardless if I want to or not. All right, let's, let's see, figure it out if I can say this positively. Gosh. You are so bad at... No, that's not positive. Uh, you could be better at masking people's identity. What? What are you talking about? Yeah. The guy at the end, you're like, oh, I'll call him Paul, um, who had a strong faith, and then his marriage fell apart, and then he he didn't believe anymore. But at the beginning, you started off with a story about a guy named Pete, and Pete didn't, you know, he okay. For- didn't have a Holmes, mm-hmm. and you actually had interviewed Pete Holmes talking about this just like okay. a couple of okay. months ago. First of all, I didn't say his name was Paul. I said his name was Pierce. Second of oh all, if you are a fan of Pete Holmes, I stand corrected. if you're a fan of Pete Holmes, you know one of his most famous bits is entitled Pierce. And so that's kind of a Pete Holmes callback. Like that's what uh, a real Pete Holmes fan would know. That's a reference to his work. It's a tip of the it's hat. It's a tip of the hat. To say. It's a, and I was not trying to hide who it was because it's been on the podcast. But uh, you're an idiot. Okay. You're an idiot. <laughs> no, sorry. I'm, I'm getting close to. I called him Pierce for a reason. Yeah. People know who that is. Okay. What kind of feedback have you gotten for this? Well, besides from you, no one has been as downright evil as you are. <laughs> well, um, you know, I got. Um, you know, a handful of people say, oh, yeah, that's really my story. And I think part of the reason that is is, like, the whole construction, deconstruction, reconstruction, which really yeah. that is just, you know, an, um, a parable about, like, the, the guy in the, the sand getting washed away in the water. I mean, it's just a parable of that whole idea, which I think is kind of the centerpiece of this podcast. And so it's a recurring theme of people who start with something. And th- the image, actually, for those of you who are dedicated listeners, refers back to an image that I think came up when I was talking to Pete Enns like 15 months ago, 
And that's why I called the first guy Pete, because it was when I was talking to Pete on the phone that I, or on the podcast that I came up with it. There are so many layers to this it one. Is. It's deep. It's like an onion. You just peel it back. And it makes you cry. Because it's emotional. It connects you. <laughs> I, I think that's the, the most people have connected with that, because it's, uh, most yeah, of us yeah. start somewhere and something happens and all of a sudden we're not there anymore. We've got to reconsider how we connect to God. And so I feel like that's been the connection. Uh, um, <clears throat> I got, a, I got an email from one person who's saying that they didn't like the wave metaphor. Like what took the person off the sand was like they called it a tsunami or something like that, um, which was not in the podcast. Um, but it was like this destructive force that pulled them away. And so it, it might have come across as saying that like God is destructive or something. But I think yeah. what, what the illustration, and I email with this person back and forth a little bit, but I think what what I try to articulate with that image is that what typically causes people to grow and to, to reframe their understanding of God is not something that's comfortable. Like usually adversity is what forms us the most. And I think that's what we were just talking about a second ago is that it's, it's not during adversity that we like it, but typically afterwards is when we look back and go, that's when I grew the most is when things yeah, were right. all upended. Yeah. I, I, I got that. I like that you were like, it wasn't on the podcast, sir. I've listened to that podcast 20 times. I know I did not say tsunami. <laughs> no, because I, whatever, you're the worst, friend. So I, 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 I hear this, what your parable was trying to communicate. I hear it often as well. And I think it is the great difference between Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity. The, what is it, cataphatic and anaphatic ways of talking about yeah, God? Apathetic. Yeah, like the stuff that you can't know. Yeah, and and so like, apathetic. Eastern Christians would say, "There, God is not darkness," mm-hmm. but they would never make a positive yeah. thing. And and we just grew up with everybody saying almost, you know, based on Jesus is the full revelation of of mm-hmm. God. We had we had maybe a little too much hubris or confidence about. So we've got God all figured yeah. out now, and and now there's a large reaction back yeah, against that. I think that, that. Pen- pendulum is definitely swinging back where people are realizing you, you can't know everything. And when you overemphasize mm-hmm. what you do know, uh, it typically reduces your ability to know God because what you end up knowing is not God itself, not the reality of God, but your construction of God. And that's yeah. not who God is. Yeah, God's bigger than that. But, okay, related to this, one of the things you, you talked about in that podcast was how you feel like you signed a contract mm-hmm. with God. And I certainly had that growing up. I felt like if I behaved well, God would help me make shots in the yeah. basketball game yeah. or whatever. Um, but what – so your example is Job. I would like to play devil's advocate with you because you do with everybody. What about Deuteronomy? Yeah, I th- what about – what about instead of contracts, yeah, covenant? I think, I think Job is a criticism of Deuteronomic theology. I think Job is saying, like yeah. Deuteronomy, and I talk about this some of the next, uh, the next podcast I'm going to post with um, Paul Wallace. Uh, we, I, we talk about how I think Deuteronomy and then Proverbs are both saying the same thing. Like if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. Right. And I think what happens is the evolving understanding of how humanity and God work. I think it starts off like that's the training wheels of... Deuteronomy, I don't think is, I don't think Deuteronomy holds up to Job, and I think that's what Job's friends are saying. Hmm. I think they're quoting Deuteronomy to him, like Deuteronomic theology of, if something bad happened to you, Job, God obviously kept his end of the bargain. It clearly was you that was wrong, 
And Job's going, no, I really didn't do anything wrong. And the book of Job says what happens to him is not because of him, but it's because of God. So, yeah. yeah. I, don't, don't a lot of people think Job was written first, like the first book of the Bible? I think they're wrong. <laughs> no, I think it, but, no, I think there's a lot of scholarship that would say it's actually the last thing written. I think some people would look to the inclusion of... Like after Revelation? Well, obviously, it's the Jewish <laughs> Bible. I think a lot of people would say it's the, the, the later one, and they would um, look to the fact that the inclusion of the accuser or the, the Satan character as yeah. something that was not early on in early Jewish writing, like you know the Genesis and the Pentateuch and all that, but it's an evolving process. You see this also with the difference of like First and Second Samuel to like Chronicles, where you know at the end there's a reference to the devil in Chronicles, which wasn't in Samuel, and a lot of people look at that and go, "That's um, that's sign of a later evolved Judaism." So the answer like is the no. M. Div. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. I was I was in church history class when you were taking your textual criticism class. Hmm. I I always like the idea of Job being the first book written in the Bible. That's cute to have ideas, but it just doesn't hold up, you know, historically. Okay. Ask ask Pete Inns okay. if there's any if there's any veracity to that claim. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I get I get that Job is a critique to Deuteronomy. I, I honestly think that's a good way of seeing it, but I also think. There's there's a tension here. I mean, there, I like that the Bible argues with itself internally. Yeah, you know, and and so that also means Deuteronomy can critique Job. You know, like hmm, yeah. the what what would the Deuteronomy critique of Job be? When you're lying on the ocean floating, it is to remember there is an island, or there is like a to you. That's I'm deep. To, I don't know what that means, but it's deep. Like that, God has made. God keep makes and keeps promises, mm-hmm. and they don't look like what you thought they would. But this is why Job resolves. It re- doesn't resolve by ending all the pain and suffering because mm-hmm. you can't replace kids. Doesn't um, doesn't he get new kids and wife and money and stuff at the end? Yeah, but Job was written by somebody who had a heart, so you can't just. Well, I got ten new. But kids, isn't the story so we- like he does get more? Doesn't he get his stuff back at the end? But he doesn't get the same kids back. I don't think they make the the difference. Like I feel like kids are just uh, an example of a good life. Like I think so. Glenn Pemberton, who has a great book, "Hurting with God," mm-hmm. um, who has gone through a lot of yes. tragedies in his life. I asked him one time about the ending of Job, and he said something really profound to me. He said, "Job knows forever now it can all be taken away." Hmm. So he's not the same guy no matter what happens in the end. The no. But there is a, there is a sense in which God Deuteronomy is God making promises that God's going to keep. It just doesn't mean what you think it means. Like you're going to make that basketball shot. But I feel like or, I I think in the bigger sense, yes. And I think you read that uh, as Pete Enns would like Christologically, like you read that through the story of Jesus, and I feel like that's the conclusion you get to. I yeah. don't think, which is that suffering is where God is, and 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 redemptive suffering is the most powerful thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I would just, I don't think Deuteronomy. You can get there from Deuteronomy by itself. I don't, yeah. and I, I don't think at the end, Job. I'm not a Job scholar by any means, which I know some of my listeners are like. Oh, that's a big chuck to me. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you see that. Like, I don't know if you see Job is getting the resolve that you want him to at the end. I, it would be nice if at the end he. 
like was rich and then all of a sudden gave his money away to the poor because he knew it's like to suffer himself. But I mean, you don't see that. You don't see the, huh. the character arc. But, you're making me want to preach Job. No. Well, I, I think most people feel like Job whenever you're preaching. So <laughs> boom, transition time. Okay, speaking to other people who don't like you, let's go to the last podcast, James K.A. Smith. Uh, here is your beloved Calvinist. And this is what happens. You eventually dance long enough with the Calvinist, and they're going to step on your foot. And mm-hmm. you've been dancing with the Calvinist, and eventually you get the response for your blog. You, you had this Twitter war with him. And I think he said, Jonathan, that's a silly question to you. Is that, is that how he it talks? Is, yeah. That's a silly like question. You. That's a silly <laughs> question. Well, you're right about him having a deeper voice than you. That that part resonates with me. The, we, yes, okay, because so you're James it. Earl Jones. Go ahead and make fun of my voice. <laughs> I do it. I have a nasally pinched voice too. I, I don't, get it. Don't say two. You just have mine is not pinched. <laughs> okay, so why does James K. A. Smith hate your blogging? Um, so I've been blogging through his his book. I don't I don't think he hates my blogging. I think we just disagreed on a couple of uh, points and I appreciated him interacting with me. For, Thanks for talking so to me, I, James. That was real nice. <laughs> Thanks for interacting with me. Oh, this is really rich. Your, your voice is... <laughs> uh, you made me sound like Steve Urkel, man. <laughs> um, okay, so about the book, the reason that I liked it so much, which, by the way, did you like yeah. it? I love him as a cultural critic. I think he is super good at, like his stuff on weddings, the wedding season, reading the wedding season with a liturgical lens and how these days it's all about self-expression and how wonderful our love is. But in classic Christian weddings, a couple got two words, I do. The main actors were, you know, God and you were a parable for mm-hmm. the world and a sacrament for the church. Or, or the mall. Yeah, that was so Do you good. remember that? Yes, the architecture of the mall. How you, don't, mm-hmm. how you don't see the moat of cars outside, but you just look up to the heavens because they're based on like medieval you know, church architecture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's fascinating. That's it. Fascinating. And the, the um, mannequins or icons showing you what the good life looks like. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So... Uh, our friend Wade Hodges texted me. He goes, you know, my favorite part of that podcast is when you assumed that Jamie didn't like Rob Bell. And Oh, I, I have that written down to make fun of you for. Yeah. He said, yeah. I'm surprised that more gaffes like that don't happen on your podcast. And I was like, yeah, I, I just, I was wrong. I judged the Calvinist and turned out I was the wrong one. You were. You had the the beam in your eye, just like you do every time you use my name and Calvinism in the same sentence. So here, but here's the thing about Thanks Jamie for Smith. Thanks with me, Jamie. <laughs> you, uh, my hatred for you burns with the fire of a million suns. The so he is so hard to put in a category because he's a Calvinist, but he's a charismatic Calvinist. And he's a postmodern philosopher mm-hmm. who is buddies with Rob Bell. Well, I don't think he's buddies, but he preached there. Well, he, yeah, he's mm-hmm. you know friends of the church. Mm-hmm. There it is. So, like, it seems like one of those things should cancel out the others yeah. at some point. Yeah, yeah. 
but they don't. What did you think about his stuff about, um, like, his critique of church and, like, the need to do um, historical Christian worship? So that was actually the thing that we got into a, a bit of a Twitter conversation about was because my my big thing was, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here because I was honestly asking it. Um, well, let's start with this stuff on confession. Okay. That, that resonated with me that he said historic Christian worship is needed for good evangelism these days. And if we start with the question, what do people want will never wind up with confession like confession of sins but it's immediately followed by absolution and you're forgiven and there's an itch that you need scratch that you don't know until you experience it and an unchurched person might realize that not by thinking it but by experiencing it kind of like what henry ford and steve jobs you know, Henry Ford's the, if I would ask people what they yeah. wanted, they would have told me horse, faster yeah, horses. Yeah, yeah. Like that if we're, we're so busy trying to peddle whatever unchurched demographic wants that we're losing the rich resources of yeah. trip, tri- you know? Yeah. Eventually you can make uh, church just this product that gets people in without actually having a, a TED talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you lose the heart so, of it. But here's, here's a question that I think would be good for me and you to discuss because I had recommended this book to Rick Ashley, our, both of our former boss and great friend and mentor and stuff. And at, when I got to this part of the book, I was like, oh, man, because I don't want him I, – I, since you and I both worked at this church that's a mega church that does communion every week – has some aspects of historic, you know, believes in the sacraments and yeah. stuff. Communion and baptism are a big it, deal, yeah. Right, but it doesn't do, you know, some stuff that Jamie Smith thinks a big deal. But they do really good, they make disciples really well. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen some churches that do Christian historic worship and they don't. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it seems like that's uh, a little bit of an overstatement to say that you have to do it exactly one way to get there, you yeah. think? Because it, I would be very hard-pressed to feel comfortable into a statement in which you said only one type of worship gets the ultimate goal that we're all looking for. Like, I feel like that's a little bit minimizing. So I think the reason we have allergies to that kind of statement is because that's exactly what we grew up thinking, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. And And so part of my... You know, there's one form to do it, and we're going to recover what the... Now, I, I, I'm i a big fan of Robert Weber and ancient future worship and that kind of stuff. But Robert Weber was trying to help churches be incorporate those really important things in, in their own unique DNA. Yeah. So what do you think that looks like in a healthy way? Like, how, how does a church um, incorporate those things... And still, I mean, because the, the mega church is going to have, and I hate the word like attractional, but it's going to have an attractive worship service that people are connecting to, which right. is probably not that um, historical Christian worshipy. So uh, how, do you, how, how do you blend those two things together, you think? Um, well, I mean, I think there are certain things that all Christians have done at all times, and you can start there, you know, like communion and baptism mm-hmm. and... 
Um, I loved his pray. I, I loved his example about why you take communion every week. He's like, I don't see. Yeah. Someone saying, well, you know, I have sex like once a week, but it makes it kind of routine. Like, I don't think someone's going to argue about that. Yeah. Hey, dude, he's a funny mm-hmm. guy. For, isn't he? for Calvinist. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> you you called it, you talked so much about his Calvinism in there. You are building walls, not bridges. No, that's not true. So you think incorporating some of those things? Yeah, I do too. I think that's important to do that. I don't think either or. And um, yeah, I did. I did. In all seriousness, I really did like uh, Jamie. He was great. He was a good podcast, good guest, and um, that American Beauty. I know that was that was pretty. Pretty powerful. I know it's the the misguided interests, like that are just a few degrees off that you don't realize what are they actually pulling you towards. And I feel like that's a, a there has to be a spiritual practice that we're always doing to go back to say what do I really want? Like what am I really thirsting for? And like I know this, I I only I think I've said this on the podcast before, but like I typically only drink water. But the rare times that I want like a Gatorade or lemonade or something different is when I'm dehydrated and so over the years i've learned to say whenever you're you're craving that it's really because you're really dehydrated and you need to deal with that actual issue now it's easy for me to do that with how thirsty i am but it's harder for me to go what are you really craving because everyone wants something it's just that we will typically manipulate what we really need for what we want yeah Hey, there was a quote you said in there, and you said that you've said it many times on the podcast. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel. Mm-hmm. Yes. What is that quote? Is looking for God. Do you know who said that? Go ahead and say your punchline. I see you're... you're no, who is it? I don't know. I was just... It's G.K. Chesterton. Oh, no! Never again. Yeah. It's done. Never say that again. Schmuck. You like G.K. <laughs> Chesterton. You just didn't know. No. It. I'm going to delete that from the record. I think we need to stop now. <laughs> Things got real bad just then. Oh, uh, welcome to being a Chestertonian. No, man. I'm not a Chestertonian. Um, <laughs> okay, so who's next? Uh, who's coming up on the podcast? Oh, next? Uh, Paul. Nick. Paul Wallace. Yeah, Paul. He's say? a. Uh, he has a PhD in. Nuclear experimental nuclear physics from Duke, but he's not smart enough to stay away from you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he is the first guest I've ever had who sent me an email saying thank you for having me on the podcast. He is really like the one leper who came back to thank <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. So you're the you're the Jesus character. Well, let's not, not get too not the leper? let's not get too literal about that one. So we've got that one. Um, uh, I'm going to record a live one. Oh, if you haven't heard about it, I think I've talked about this enough on the old social media, but uh, I'm actually going to get off this podcast and talk with my man, Trip Fuller from Homebrewed Christianity. He and I are doing a podcast battle with N.T. Wright, Richard Beck, Tony Jones, Greg Boyd. And so we're going to get, I'm going to get some form of that on the old podcast, uh, hopefully in May. Stormy, you're coming to that one, aren't you? Yeah. Heck yeah, I'll be there. Home. Homebrewed Christianity. Now there's a podcast, right? Am I right? Is that? That's not funny at all. Wait. Oh, am I supposed? I'm supposed to be on your side because isn't it a, a podcast a, duel? Yeah. You're you're the worst. So I'm gonna have to join like the tepid group of people who are just. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I think a lot of the homebrewed Christianity people will be very excited to finally hear a podcast host who's actually a Christian. So that's going to be really exciting <laughs> for them. <laughs> who's going to be there? Who else is going to anyway, be there? We're done now. We're done. Jonathan, I just want to say one more thing. Uh, thanks for interacting with me. Uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for interacting with me. It's great. Oh, gosh. The fire of a thousand suns. Yeah. Oh, you're going to be announcing the uh, gender of your of your fifth your fifth child tonight. That's right. But the podcast is going to come out after that. Do you want to go ahead and? Uh, no. Wait. When when does this podcast come um, out? What's today's twenty seventh? Let me pull my calendar up. Uh, it'll go out like tomorrow night or Friday morning, something like that. So it might be tomorrow before I put it out, but we haven't told the world that we're pregnant yet so. <laughs> <laughs> you could S- surprise mom and dad yep. sorry mrs storm didn't need to break the news this way but yeah let's be honest this She'll, is not the first time about... you've been disappointed with your son <laughs> johnny thanks for interacting with me always good talking to you Jared thanks Brain. for checking out newsworthy with norsworthy make sure to subscribe to the podcast on itunes you are now adjourned